Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in San Diego, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through His Word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com. So good to see all your happy faces and enjoy community this Sunday morning. Um, I am so excited to be, um, you can tell by my accent that I didn't grow up here, and so um, I grew up in Mississippi. No, I didn't. (laughs) Um, But it's going to be our first Thanksgiving, so I know there's turkey involved, and um, I'm excited to discover what my favorite dish will be. But uh, if we have not met, my name is Brian, it's a joy to be together this Sunday morning, and uh, welcome to Light Church. We are in a preaching series at the moment called Trellis, and the idea behind this preaching series is that we want to focus in on the spiritual disciplines or the spiritual practices, if you prefer that language, uh, of Jesus and implement those spiritual practices in the rhythms of our daily life, things like reading the Bible, things like praying, other spiritual practices that we maybe don't give attention to, like celebration and joy, generosity, mercy, compassion, community, uh, fasting, which we're going to do this week, and uh, feasting, which we spoke on last Sunday. And so we want to look at the life of Jesus. We're going to look at the fruit of the life of Jesus. And we want to say, hey, if we want the life of Jesus to be our reality, then we need to implement the lifestyle of Jesus in our daily life. And so that's what we're doing in this series. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to Psalm 100, and we're going to look at verse 4. If you don't, it'll come up on the screen. The psalmist writes, Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. As disciples of Jesus, we want to become, well, we want to be with Jesus first and foremost. We want to spend time with him. And then we want to, over time, as we spend time with him, become more like him. And then we want to find ourselves doing the very things that Jesus did. And so that's what we're doing with this preaching series, as I said. We want to be with him, become like him, and do what he did, and find ourselves living out the life of Jesus as we practice the lifestyle of Jesus. And so what we're doing is we're essentially talking about the kingdom of God. We're talking about what does it look like for you and me as disciples of Jesus, or another language to say as citizens of God's kingdom, who fall under his rule and his authority, what does it look like for you and me, not just at a heart level, not just as like an overall kind of, I believe this with my life and with my mind, but what does it look like to live as kingdom citizens in God's kingdom in the Monday to Sunday stuff of life? What does it look like for you and me to live out our daily lives as a student or graphic designer or stay-at-home mom, an accountant or lawyer, a businessman, entrepreneur, creative artist? What does it look like for us to live out our lives as citizens of the kingdom in the everyday stuff? And so today, what we want to talk about is the practice of praise, the practice of praise. And it feels appropriate to talk about praise as a spiritual discipline or as a practice today because we, um, we are having a worship evening on Tuesday night. So last Sunday, we spoke about feasting and fasting. We're practicing fasting this coming Tuesday. And then we're going to end that time off with looking at an evening of worship, a celebration together. 
Not only that, but we have music coming out of our church as we launch an EP. Five songs are being released on, to the world. There, a sound, a song coming out of our church uh, this coming Friday. So it feels appropriate to talk about what does it look like for you and me as disciples of Jesus, living as citizens of the kingdom, to practice praise or to practice worship. David Foster Wallace, the author, writes, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everyone worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if, if, you, if they are where you get tap real meaning in life, then you will never feel you have enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you'll always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before, you finally, before they finally grieve you. Worship power, you will end up feeling weak and afraid and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, you'll end up feeling like a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. So the question is not, do you worship? The better question to ask is, who or what do you worship? Because we all worship something or someone. And so we want to talk about the practice of worship or the practice of praise. And so as disciples or as a Christian, when we talk about worship, we kind of, our mind jumps straight to what is worship. Well, worship is when we worship God. Or who do we worship? We worship God. The the dictionary defines worship as to worship something is to prize it above everything else, to honor it as the thing of highest importance and to act accordingly. Anything can be worshiped. We often find ourselves then uniting what we worship with what we praise. And that often ends up finding itself in moments like we've just experienced now this morning where we sing our praises to the Lord. Now, I've been a Christian, at least a cultural Christian, my entire life. I grew up in a Christian family, Christian mom and dad. We grew up in a, well, I grew up in a very traditional church. And the expression of worship in my formative years, my kind of one to, or zero to 13 years old, was pretty traditional and conservative, not in theology, but in practice. So my worship on a Sunday or within the gathered body on a, at church or at any kind of church meeting was often just kind of singing songs in a just very contained, very conservative expression of what that worship looked like, hymns and um, very little kind of outward expressive emotion in uh, our practice of worship. And I remember going to high school uh, at 12 years, 13 years old, going off to high school, and I went to a high school that was uh, different to the school that all my friends from my junior school went to. Uh, I ended up going to a high school that was like kind of for sporting reasons, and I arrived at this high school not having any friends. I didn't know anyone. And my mom, uh, I think she had ulterior motives, but uh, she suggested that I go and join the Christian group at the school so that I can make some friends. And so that's what I did. I, I showed up one break time or recess period and uh, went to this Christian group. And I was invited to the youth group at a local church. And it was a charismatic church. So I remember arriving to youth group, feeling a bit nervous, uh, don't know anyone, well, knew like hardly anyone. 
and here I arrive, young little whippersnapper, and I arrive into the youth group, and it's all the things you'd expect in like kind of a bigger church youth group in the early 2000s, right? Like just skateboarders, like Christian skateboarders, and the slang and the thing and the fun stuff and the games and the harp and all the things. That was great. And then we got to the time where you'd come together and like a cool guy would come on stage with all the right clothing and give a great talk. And then there was time for worship. And I remember thinking, what is happening? Because the worship experience was unlike anything I'd ever encountered in my life before. Uh, these people that were now around me, who seemed pretty cool a few moments prior, were now so odd, just weird. Like there were just got, there was a dude bouncing, you know, doing the doing the doing the bounce, like doing the bouncing thing. There, there were there was another guy. I just remember like people like punching the air, you know, the the Christian punch of victory. There's someone, like, I, I remember, uh, you know, we've all encountered, is, is that person in pain? Are they happy? Like, like wincing, just uh, what, what's happening there? Uh, someone had um, the guns, you know, just the guns in the air. All these different, uh, the rocking the baby, just there was someone rocking the baby. And all these kind of expressive, physical, outward expressions of worship that felt so uncomfortable, but also like strangely attractive at the same time. And a few weeks later, you know, having grown up in the Christian church, and my only, uh, the only difference I was now encountering within the Christian landscape was outward expressions of worship, something was gripping my heart, what I know now to be the Holy Spirit drawing me into the presence of the Father, but a few weeks later, I found myself as a 13-year-old boy in my bedroom with the door closed, listening, I had kind of smuggled my mom's worship uh, CD. Most of you are too young for CDs, but there's like a round disc thing. And I had my stereo and uh, kind of had the, my mom's worship album and pl placed that in there. And as a 13-year-old boy with the door closed, found myself on my knees in my bedroom with my hands raised and just gave my life over to Jesus in this moment of personal worship with this outward expression. And I had now officially become a bit odd, a bit strange. I joined that crew. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he argues that a dislike of enthusiasm can be one of the greatest hindrances to revival. Perhaps the secret to unlocking this sort of expressive enthusiasm and power that is released when we express ourselves physically in worship can be found in a better or proper understanding of this word praise. So what is praise? And how do I, as a disciple of Jesus, live life in the kingdom of God with praise as a central practice? Now, when we read the Bible, you and I, we, most of us, I think, would read the Bible in English. We read the English translation of the Bible. But the Bible, as you may know, was not actually written in English. It was originally written in Greek and Hebrew. And when the translators got together and translated the Bible into the English language from the original language, Sometimes there was not an exact word in the English language that was an equivalent to the Greek or the Hebrew word. And so what we can do when reading the Bible is we can dig a little deeper to find these beautiful biblical truths and treasures underneath the English language. Some of you may be familiar with this when we consider the word love. 
You know, maybe uh, it's kind of popular even outside of Christian circles to know that there is not one word for love. Our English word love, we use quite liberally and quite broadly. You know, I say, I love my wife, and I love Manchester United, and I love food, and I love ice cream, and I love my boys. And it's pretty strange that I would use the same word to describe my love for my wife, my boys, ice cream, and soccer. But there are actually four main Hebrew or Greek words, rather, for the English word love. Philea, eros, storge, and agape, each meaning a different kind of love, right? Expressing that oh, you can, yes, love Manchester United, which is something as a disciple of Jesus we should all do. But you can use a different word to express love for our wives or our children. And each of these different Greek words for love give us a different angle on that emotion. They give us a different perspective on what love really is, a different uh, kind of uh, vantage point or a holistic theology of what love is. Well, I don't know if you know this, but there are actually seven Hebrew words found in the book of Psalms for the English word praise. And each one of these seven Hebrew words for praise give us a different vantage point, a different perspective. They give us a different insight into the worship practices of the ancient worlds, different ways that we can express our worship to the Lord. And so today, I want to share with you the seven Hebrew words for praise as we consider worship as a kingdom practice that we want to implement into our lives and lifestyles so we can live into it and live it out. And I want to trust this morning that God would move our hearts into greater adoration of Him as we unpack this, and that our expression of worship, no matter where we are in this journey, our expression and understanding of what it means to praise would grow, and we would personally grow in confidence. Does that sound good? Maybe you um, are new to church and you're visiting us or new to this kind of expression of church, and hopefully as I unpack the seven Hebrew words for praise, uh, you will have a better understanding of why some people are rocking the baby or using the guns or raising their hands in worship. Okay, you ready? Seven Hebrew words for praise. The first one is yadah. Okay, I want you to, we're going to learn Hebrew together. Welcome to Hebrew class. You're going you're to say this with me. Can you say yadah? Okay, this is to revere or worship with extended hands, to hold out the hands, to throw a stone or an arrow. It's actually one of the most natural human actions. It's just this like shooting up of the hands, like a quick impulse shooting up of their hands. We read in Psalm 67, may the peoples praise or yadah you, God. May all the peoples yadah you. And it's just this natural human emotion that takes place in the heart and it works its way out into your body. It's what happens when somebody, when you go to a sporting match and someone scores a touchdown or a goal or a home run and it's just your hands shoot up, right? No one teaches you to do this. It's not like you're, you're young and you go to a sporting game and your father like leans over and it's like, okay, one, two, three, raise your hands. It's just like we just do it as a natural reaction to celebration, right? And the same way the Hebrew people, they showed their excitement or their enthusiasm for God in praise and worship by raising their hands. And so if you've ever wondered, like, why do these Christians raise their hands in worship? It's this outward expression, this uncontrollable excitement, like of celebration as we look to the Father and our hands shoots up. This posture of worship is expressed in the Psalms by the Hebrew word yada. 
And in the context of praise, Yadar describes these moments when the Hebrew people were so overcome by the glory of the Lord that their hands would shoot up in response. In the Psalms, David declares that God's people could not help but raise their hands in praise for God's faithfulness. They could not help but Yadar, the Lord. Back to my youth group, uh, I remember the first time when I raised my hands. I remember standing there and having kind of witnessed my, giving my life to the Lord and lifting my hands in my bedroom. But now I'm with my, my mates and uh, there's a couple non-hand raises with me and a couple hand raises. And you kind of feel self-conscious, right? And I remember that feeling of like, I want to lift my hands, but like there's other people around me. And so it's, it's like you're trying to get your hands up. And you do the half heart, you know, you do the, the midway, the mid, and, then, and then you kind of, you get, some, you, you, get, you get to this pot. And then there came a point, I'm just sharing my story, there came a point in my own heart where my, my desire to express my love for Jesus was surpassed, surpassed my self-consciousness and worry of what other people around me felt. And I just, it became, it went from like this to this to I don't care anymore and I'm just gonna worship God. And I raised my hands for the first time and in that simple act of, I began to understand that there is a link between my physical expression of worship and my emotional expression of worship. And I began to understand that this expression affected and reflected the posture of my heart to the Lord. So it's a reflection of my heart, but oftentimes it can also be an effect on my heart. As I extend myself physically, oftentimes my emotions will follow. And this still happens to me today as I come on a Sunday morning. There will be times where I'm affected or, 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 or um, it's a reflection of my heart. And there will be other times when I come into our worship gatherings and I'm just you know, trying to get the kids ready, and I'm a bit hassled, and I know I've got a message coming, and my mind's on a number of different things, and then I just have to stop and say, okay, God, with my physical body, I'm going to extend myself, and then trust that my heart will follow. It's an extension of the hands, and then simply in lifting, act of lifting my hands, it feels as if my heart is lifted to the Lord as well, and it's the most natural act of praise. The next Hebrew word is halal. Can you say halal? Okay, to boast, to rave, to shine, to celebrate, to be clamorously foolish. It's found in Psalm 149. It says, let, I, let them halal his name with dancing and make music to him with tremble, timbrel and harp. Halal is the primary Hebrew word for praise. It's the word from which we derive the biblical word for hallelujah. And it's, a, it's an exuberant expression of celebration, a word that suggests boasting, raving, celebrating, and it carries with it the ideas of acting in a way that is clamorously foolish. I, I, this past week, I was searching for a bunch of stuff on my laptop and uh, hard drives that we had kind of saved all our digital world on, and I found a bunch of love letters that Caitlin had written me uh, before we were, kind of, before we even started dating, uh, well, like letters that she had written me before we were officially dating, and then throughout dating years, and then kind of culminating on a letter I received on my wedding day. And uh, I spent time, I was like, wow, what a pleasant surprise, just like reading all these beautiful letters that my wife had written to me, kind of starting about 15 years ago. And just enjoying the fact that, like, wow, she really loved me. And, like, we, this was awesome. And, 
And so I, I really enjoyed those moments of just remembering how in love we were in those days. And, and uh, I went to her and I was like, Caitlin, I guess what? I found all these letters that you had written me. And she was like, oh, that's awesome. Uh, you know, and I was like, you loved me so much. And uh, you used to, you think I'm so, like, you used to think I was so amazing. And she said, and she, and she said her response to that was, yeah, and now I just know how human you really are. <laughs> Anywho, we're still happily married. But at our wedding, and I mentioned a bit of our wedding last week, but at our wedding, at the time of these, like, when she thought I was so amazing, before she realized how human I really am, uh, these, these love letter moments, um, our wedding was a party. It was like we, the, one thing that Caitlin and I know how to do is like have a good time. And uh, we had a ton of people at our wedding. And we had this thing that we had kind of developed before our wedding. It was called the Barnsey Dance. So like uh, our surname is Barnes and people would call us like Barnsey. Like, I don't know, don't call me that. You're not allowed to call me that. Uh, but we, we had this Barnsey Dance, right? And it, how the Barnsey Dance would work is like, if you needed a bit of a pick-me-up, what we would do is, Kate and I would just stand, you'd just be in the safe zone, and you'd just be like kind of dancing, bopping, like with it, just, just keep it safe. And then, and then at the change, like when a, when a song, like when the beat drops, or we got to like a high moment, a climax of the song, we would just lose our freaking minds and just like go mad. And we do this uh, in our home with our boys now, you like kind of play it safe, and then we just go crazy, and it's like a fun way of expressing our joy. And at our wedding, like we did the classic kind of uh, romantic, soppy love song first dance and then to open the dance floor that song just stopped and uh we there's a dj his name's flow rider i don't know you may know him and uh anyway so flow rider just drops during like our wedding song and we just lost it and i think everyone was so stoked and then we just had a party and what was happening in that moment was we were going crazy and everyone joined in but it was two people who love each other coming together in marriage and that was just worth celebrating it's just, worth, it's just worth an ex physical expression of joy. And this is the essence of the Hebrew word halal. It's the celebration, this over-exuberant outward expression of just joy. And the entire book of Psalms culminates with this word halal in Psalm 150 verse 6. Let everything that breathes halal the Lord. Halal the Lord. Celebrate. The next Hebrew word is tehillah. Can you say tehillah? Okay, not tequila, tehillah. Okay, uh, it's a, a hymn, a song of praise, a, a new song, a spontaneous song, and it's found in Psalm 22, but you are wholly enthroned in the Tehillah of Israel. The King James translates it as God dwells in the praises of his people, and it's this idea as we praise the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord comes and dwells in that place. The next Hebrew word is Tadah. You can say Tadah? Don't, don't. Wayne on me here, people. To, can we say it? Tada? Okay. It's, a, it's an extension of the hand, thanksgiving, a confession, a sacrifice of praise. Here's the real essence of it. Thanksgiving for things not yet received. Psalm 56, verse 11. In God I put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Vows made to you are binding upon me. O God, I will render tada to you. Tadah is the Hebrew word that means an extension of the hand in thanksgiving to God for what he has done. But it also means a sacrifice of praise for things not yet received. It is praising God with an expectation for what is to come. The psalmist used Tadah as an expression of confession in a way to convey full and complete trust 
in the goodness of God, regardless of the circumstances that they currently found themselves in. I just ask you, who here in the room has ever had a problem? Anyone ever had a problem? Okay, all right, all of us. If you have a problem right now, if you're going through something that's challenging or causing anxiety or difficult, you have the necessary conditions in your life for Todah. Because Todah is, this is where we sing over our fears. It's where we praise God and we sing over our anxiety. We sing over the problems that we currently face in the physical realm. And we say, God, I choose to put my trust in you over the circumstances of my life that surround me. A few months ago, our family went to Big Bear on vacation in the summer. And my youngest son, Caleb, he's got this idea. He just loves the idea of motorcycles. I've never ridden or had a motorcycle, but Caleb just is like into it. And so we get to Big Bear and he sees this like motorcycle track and they've got little kids electric motorbikes and he's like peaking hard. And so we go and we take him and he gets the helmet and the whole thing and he's so stoked. And he gets on the motorcycle and he's brave and he's tough, so he like falls off a few times, but he's just determined to get this right and he's got to figure out the throttle and do the thing and eventually he gets it, and he's going around this motorcycle track, going up and down some bumps and cruising around corners. And he gets a little bit more confident, and as he gets more confident, he starts speeding up and speeding up. And the one portion of the track has this kind of big bend that goes towards a decline, like a downhill, and, uh, and the idea is you really need to use your brakes when you go around this corner, because uh, it could end pretty badly. Because on the other side of this corner is... Um, is a very steep hill, uh, and then a drop-off, uh, quite a significant drop-off onto a gravel uh, car park, was it a parking lot. And uh, so Caleb's going around, but his little hand can't reach the brakes. So I'm watching him, and I'm just keeping an eye on the whole situation, and uh, he's speeding up, speeding up, and he goes around this corner, and he starts going down the decline, and he can't reach the brakes. And now what he does, what any kid does in that situation, he pulls the throttle even harder, and so he's speeding up going down the hill. And he's just screaming, I can't stop! And he's heading towards this decline, and honestly, this is not going to end well. And he's stressed, and, and, and for him, he must have thought it's all over. He must have thought, okay, this is the way I go out. Like five good years, I'm done. But you see, what my son didn't know, but what I knew, is that I was watching his every move. And I anticipated, I could just see this happening. And I anticipated him coming around that corner, and I saw him speeding up, and I thought, he's gonna die. <laughs> so I ran across the, um, the, 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 bus, the motorbike track, jumped over the mound, ran after him as he was uh, accelerating down the hill, grabbed the back of his shirt and his pants and ripped him off the bike. The bike went down the hill. Caleb was saved. Dad save of the year. There were, uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> there were literally like 30 people actually walking past in the parking lot and they saw the whole thing happen. They all started celebrating. I dropped Caleb and was like, yes. <laughs> And honestly, if that was on YouTube, we would be famous. <laughs> but I was watching his every move. 
And even when he thought that he was about to go over the edge and that the end had come, the end had not come, he was perfectly safe, his father was watching over him, and I was watching his every move. And so I just kind of, after I celebrated, dusted him off. He calmed down, his little heart was racing. You know what he did? Just lifted up his hands to me. We had a little hug, got back on the bike. He knew he was safe, off he went again. <laughs> Some of you may feel like you're going at full speed right now and you, you can't reach the brakes. And may, you may feel like this in time, so maybe you felt like this in the past. And it feels like, man, I'm about to go off the edge of the cliff. Maybe because of some financial issue. Maybe there's a relational complexity. Maybe there's anxiety in a job. Or maybe you're considering a new job and it just feels overwhelming. Maybe it's, I'm going to graduate at the end of the year and, and at the end of the school year, and I don't know what to, am I staying in San Diego? Where am I going to find a job? How am I going to afford to live? And you're anxious, maybe a bit afraid, maybe just really nervous. And maybe the, the word of the Lord to you today is that you need to practice the praise of Tadar because you're safe. Your father is watching over you. You have nothing to fear. The end has not come. You will not go over the edge of the cliff. He'll save you. He's got you. You can praise with an expectation that you're safe in his arms. In Psalm 20, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. He will bring an end to violence, so we lift our hands in praise. He'll bring a release from bondage. He will provide for what we need, and so we lift our hands in praise. He will heal us both now and in eternity, and so we lift our hands in praise and expectation. Chris Tomlin, the uh, worship leader in one of his songs, he writes, I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind me. The God of angels' armies is always by my side. So in Tadar, we lift our hands in the presence of God, not only for what he has done, but also for what we believe that he will do. The next Hebrew word is zamar. Come on, say zamar. To make music, to celebrate in song and music, to touch the strings or parts of a musical instrument. It's found in Psalm 144. I will sing a new song to you, O Lord, O God. And on a harp of ten strings, I will sing praises or zamar to you. Music, friends, is one of the most powerful things that we have at our disposal as a weapon of praise. It's more powerful than even we understand. It can soften our hearts. Music soothes our troubled souls. It can open up the doors to a spiritual world around us. Music paves the way to the Spirit's coming in our hearts. Music can bolster the human heart. It can fill us with courage. It can exercise our faith as we live into the promises of God. Martin Luther, the great theologian, said, Next to the word of God, the noble art of music is the greatest treasure in the world. Beautiful music is the art of the prophets that can calm the agitations of the soul. It is one of the most magnificent and delightful presents God has given us. The next Hebrew word is this bird, Barach. Can you say Barach? Okay, to kneel, to bless God as an act of adoration, to praise, to salute, to thank it's found in Psalm 72 where it says, Let all kings bow in homage to him, all nations serve him, and he shall live and to him shall be given the gold of Sheba. Prayer also shall be made for him continually and daily shall he be barach, shall he be praised. And the word barach is actually a word of humility. 
Barach embodies the notion of kneeling before God. It's coming down to God. We see this all through the Gospels as people encounter Jesus. They barach, they fall down to their knees as a natural response to the presence of God. It's an act of adoration, of blessing God. It's a recognition of our position before the Lord Almighty, that we are less than Him. It's a word that's used 289 times in the Psalms alone. And on, one occurrence, on each occurrence, it's used to describe worshipers falling on their knees before God in reverence and adoration and thanks. But scholars of the ancient Hebrew have given us better insight into the word barach. They believe that in the original context, the term did not simply mean bowing down or falling on one's knees. It actually carried the connotation of bending low while keeping our eyes firmly focused on the king. So it was coming down before the Lord, but keeping our eyes firmly focused on the king. And wherever the king goes, that's where our attention goes. So we come down before God and we just, our eyes, where's God, what's he doing? And that's my focus. I turn my eyes upon Jesus and I look into his wonderful face. And wherever the king would go, our eyes would be transfixed on him. How different would our own lives look if we postured ourselves in the position of submission where our eyes are firmly focused on the king? The next word is the word shabach. It's to, well, say it, come on, shabach. You can say it? Okay, to dress, address in a loud tone, to shout, to command, to glory, and to triumph. Shabbat is the idea of God's people coming together where one voice unites with other voices. It's the idea of every tribe, nation, and tongue coming together in joyful celebration with one song emanating out of their unity. A song becomes an anthem, and an anthem becomes a holy roar as God's people come together and praise Him. In South Africa, over the past uh, couple of weeks, uh, we, I'm South African, and uh, South Africa, the major sport in South Africa is rugby, and the Rugby World Cup has just come to its completion. And for the fourth time in history and the second time in a row, South Africa have just won the Rugby World Cup. And the, yeah, thank you. And the South Africans' uh, rugby team came back from France where the World Cup was played, and they arrived back into South Africa. And uh, South Africa has currently just gone through a cultural and national shabakh where they have celebrated in unity something that, that, that unites them and that they were all cheering for. And so I just want us to have um, the same benchmark for what this word Shabbat actually means. And so um, take a look at this. That, that was actually the shopping center that uh, we would do our groceries at when we lived in South Africa. That was uh, the moment that the final whistle went in the final and uh, South Africa were victorious. That was a cultural shabakh moment. That's what shabakh looks like. But you know, in that moment, I, listen, I like my hobbies are all things sports. I love sports. But what South Africa is celebrating in that moment is 15 men, grown men, running around the field chasing an odd-shaped ball, tackling each other, 
causing physical pain on themselves and the other person, and the desire being to carry said odd-shaped ball across a painted line and then touch that ball on the grass, and in doing so, you would gather a certain amount of points, and once you've touched the ball on the ground, you then get the opportunity to kick that odd-shaped ball through two poles and gain more points, and the person with the most points at a set amount of time wins the game, right? Now, unless I am mistaken, every time we come together as disciples of Jesus, we celebrate the fact that Jesus has defeated sin, Satan, hell, and death, and now we are sons and daughters, priests and kings in a kingdom, and we have a lot better things to celebrate than a victory in a sports match. The cry, I believe, of the global church in this season needs to be a cultural shabbat where people from every tribe, nation, and tongue come together in one voice and celebrate the victory that we have in Jesus. We need to shabbat the Lord. The call on our church and our community on our city needs to look more like that, a cultural shabbat, a praise to the Lord. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand. And uh, I'm going to read Psalm 103, and we're going to go into a time of worship now, and after which we'll break bread together and remember Jesus. Psalm 103 writes, praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise His holy name. Barach the Lord, my soul, forget not all His benefits. Barach the Lord, you, His angels, you mighty ones who do His work who obey his word, Barach the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will, Barach the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion, Barach the Lord. Ed Janet writes, in the end, everyone will bow before God and worship him as Lord. When we all stand before him, his glory and majesty will overwhelm each one. He will, we will bow then, not because we are forced to, but simply because we will acknowledge that he alone is worthy of our praise. Psalm 47 writes, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to joy with a jubilant cry for the Lord, the Most High, is awe-inspiring, a great king over the whole earth. He subdues people under us and nations under our feet. He chooses us, our inheritance, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God ascends among shouts of joy, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praise to God, sing praise, sing praise to our King, sing praise. Friends, let's worship this morning. Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in San Diego, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through His Word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com.